All right, welcome to this edition of Recap this week. I am Francine Dash sitting in for Joshua Hyde. We've been off for a couple of weeks and have a lot to cover, so let's get started. Our first segment will begin with a review of one of our polls and your responses, followed by the trends affecting most Americans and what you have to say about it. We will then go to our discussion and talk about what's happening in Israel, the changing Republican Party, and whether or not the recent news regarding the MOVE bombing in 1985 will have an impact on the fragile relationship between racial equity activists and the government. With me are writer and host of Smart Politics, Anthony Arnold, and data analyst, Alex Crohannon. Okay, Anthony, let's start with you. Tell us about our poll this week. Yeah, the poll we're covering is our most recent one. And uh, as people should know by now, you can find our polls every Friday on our social media pages. And we really like it when you guys comment and respond. We engage in discussions there and I will uh, highlight responses and sometimes read them on air. So our most recent poll was asking about the recent CDC guidance. It was, you know, as many of you probably know by now, the CDC stated that if you've been fully vaccinated, then except for some exceptions, you no longer have to wear a mask. However, there are some who state that since we haven't reached herd immunity, that could be a mistake. And furthermore, since there are no requirements for ways to prove who has and has not been vaccinated, kids don't have access to the vaccines yet in many cases, that it may not be safe to do so. So our question was, what do you think? Will you and your family continue to wear a mask or will you follow the new CDC guidelines? We had a few responses. I think the number of responses show that this is a really uh, a pressing question that a lot of people have opinions about. My response, I'll read mine first, was if businesses don't require it, I don't intend to wear one once I'm fully vaccinated uh, because I I believe that getting the vaccine is what allows me to safely move and makes me safe to others. Uh, our regular host here, uh, no offense to you, Francine, our regular host, Josh, he said that as long as he trusts the people he's around, you could probably have gatherings without a mask. But he did say that personally, he's going to continue wear his, wearing his in social spaces until enough of the country has had the vaccine for him to feel comfortable. Our host of another show, Good Money, Frank Jameson Fourth said that people should do what they are comfortable with. He says he intends to keep moving as he has been mask when required and went around his elderly family, most of whom are vaccinated. Um, But we had other responses. Terrence Morgan says he's fully vaccinated and will continue to mask up until this pandemic is fully under control, saying he does trust the vaccine, but he wants the peace of mind. And Claire Houghton says she's conflicted. She says she's fully vaccinated, but is happy to wear a mask in businesses that do and don't require them. She wants to remain respectful of people who may be at risk and have no way of knowing who or who is not vaccinated. So a variety of responses. I think they reflect the broad range of opinions about the recent CDC guidances. But since neither one of you responded, (laughs) that means you get to answer now on the podcast. Alex, you're up first. All righty. So I largely agree with Claire. Act like Claire and I are on similar, similar wavelengths. Um, I... When, I say when possible, I would like like to res- to resort, resume normal life um, and not use them. But I do like I do know people who are who haven't been vaccinated yet, either because um, they're 
making bad political decisions, um, or they uh, have um, like some other like more reasonable, uh, more, more reasonable things. And like so, I do want to give some of them peace of mind and been like, yeah, like I, I don't. I don't know, like, you don't know. I think that you can trust me. I would like to think that you trust me, but maybe you don't. And so I'll just, for your, like, for your comfort, because um, that just seems like the general thing to do, like, just respect people. <laughs> All right. But you're saying people who maybe have chosen poorly. Um, so mean, just, you're, you're, you're do you feel the need then just, to, um, so you're saying you feel the need even to people who have chosen poorly to still extend them that. And how long would you like to extend that to them, just out of curiosity? As a follow-up. At some point, uh, I mean, like, I would like two months, three months, like if they choose not to get vaccinated, how long will you extend them the courtesy of like wearing a mask? Uh, <laughs> as long as I um as long as it's uh as long as it's socially uh, responsible to do so. Okay. Like I'm not gonna make I'm not gonna make that decision. Society will make that decision, and I'll say, "All right, I'm not. This isn't an issue. I'm gonna fight you on." Yeah. All right, Francine, our guest host with the most. Well, uh, you know what I? <laughs> <laughs> this is a tough question, actually. Uh, it's a tough question, and it's not. It's a tough question because I think we all want to go back to normal. Uh, but we're not really sure, at least I'm not sure what normal really is going to look like yet. And I don't want to contribute to us falling backwards, right? Uh, so for me, for now, I am totally vaccinated, but I do continue to wear my masks um, or mask in areas where, you know, especially where I'm required, but I just wear, wear it in general. I, I want to be respectful of other people who may be immunocompromised, uh, who probably can't get the vaccine. I don't, I certainly don't want to uh, be responsible for passing that on to someone as, as I understand it, even though I'm vaccinated, that may still be a possibility. So uh, I wouldn't want to uh, contribute to any harm to anyone. And for that reason, I'm going to continue to wear my mask until I feel comfortable uh, with where we are with our vaccination rates. I don't know if we're going to get to true herd immunity I don't even know if it's possible under this current political climate, uh, which is really unfortunate because it should have nothing to do with politics, in my opinion. Um, this is a public health matter. So uh, with that and because of that, I'm just going to continue to wear my mask and, and be safe. All right. All right. That's kind of where I am right now. Uh, let me ask a quick follow up then, because this isn't in the poll, but I think it is relevant. So some of the shots, there's we're not clear yet that we won't need a booster. So what if herd immunity, what if our immunity wears off? Should we go and we need boosters and like this winter? Should we should we go back to wearing a mask? What if a booster becomes like a thing we need semi-regularly? You know, another question that came to me, I hate to answer a question with a question, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. Um, another question that came up recently is, you know, should we just practice wearing masks, especially during the winter? Because we've seen the benefit of the reduction of even flu uh, numbers and the deaths that were brought on by the flu. So uh, I, I think that it's hard to put the toothpaste back in, right, once you get used to a thing. But, you know, I also saw us, a lot of us do what we had to do to get to this point. So if we have to do it, I know as Americans, we're going to do what we have to do. Uh, it won't be easy, but we're going to do it. Um, 
In the meantime, we all need to be responsible in learning a little bit more about uh, what this virus is, what it isn't, and how it can really cause a great deal of harm. There are people who do live, but their lives are changed forever, you know, so we really want to take this seriously. All right. Well, that's that's all I have. Again, this was a really, a really uh, active poll question. Uh, shows that this is on a lot of people's minds. I know we've talked about it around my house. Um, Heather went out and was, it's confusing for people. The CDC has said one thing. Businesses say one thing. But state and local governments may say something else. Like she went to Sands Club the other day. You know, this is what I'll end on. That story about how this is, I think, confusing to people, actually. She went to Sands Club. She's fully vaccinated. It's been two weeks. She doesn't have to wear a mask. But... Indiana says you do so have to wear a mask. And so even though the CDC says you don't have to and Sam's Club says you don't have to, you actually still have to wear one inside of Sam's Club because because there's also state and then there's local ordinances as well. So uh, you need the CDC, the business, the governor and the mayor all have to say you don't have to wear a mask. Um, well, the CDC made provisions for that. They kind of uh, edited themselves, right. if you will, right. and, and made sure that they understood that they weren't saying you absolutely, no one needs to right. wear a mask at all. But what they were really saying is that now uh, localities, municipalities can start to make those decisions for themselves as they saw their rates drop. Uh, they can uh, help their communities get back to normal. And if that includes not wearing a mask, then certainly making that available to people is, you know, because that's what we all want, right? None of us, I don't know anybody personally in my circle that's like gung-ho about this whole mask thing, but it's just become something, right? Like, you know, I don't like wearing a winter coat, but I do it, you know, I don't want to get sick. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, there has been a lot of confusion, but hopefully as we go forward, people will start to employ some common sense and some, and some uh, sense of community and take some responsibility for themselves as they, uh, as they uh, move forward, as we move forward through this pandemic. And I see Alex shaking his head. You know, the listeners can't see this. We're kind of <laughs> cracking up a little bit. But you know what? That gives us a great segue, Anthony, if you're finished with your part. Alex, yep. let's go right into, you know, it's been a while. I know there's a lot going on with the trends in the news cycle. So let's go to it, my man. Talk to us about the trends. Um, I would, I really love to talk about something else and we kind of are but we're we're still on this train i'm i'm sorry team um i'm really disappointed in you alex just look uh, i'm i'm really disappointed in 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 the republican party all right all right Uh, i threw it out there i said it i said it well i'm gonna have to take up their banner for them yeah at me um so uh good news question mark um, so we are averaging uh, an, uh, a reasonable low number of only about 29,000 new cases. Okay. Okay. That's going in the right direction. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it means that we're only averaging about 400 new deaths a day. And that's... Okay. Hey. That death thing still kind of stings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, official numbers for the United States are uh, total cases um, over, you know, in the past, I guess, 18, almost 18 months, 15 months now, uh, 
753,426. With the the total official death count at 582,769. That's wow. No words. No real words. uh, Mm. Continue to be sobering numbers. Yeah. Um, Definitely. uh, um, Now... Uh, we've got this mostly under control. Um, other places of the world have uh, been less successful at getting this under control. Um, India rapidly, rapidly catch, uh, catching up uh, in not, let's uh, say, in every in every metric. Uh, they're averaging uh, two. So in the past uh, two days, they've had 279,000 cases. Oof. With four thousand deaths. Okay, that's two days. Wow. What? Again, as a little, and I say, nine eleven was about twenty three hundred people. So this is a nine eleven every day, just like we were a couple of months ago. Yep. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's so sad. Uh yes. Um. Now, uh, I, I said we had another trend that was COVID adjacent. So let's talk about vaccination rate. Yes. All right. Uh, so uh, we've been doom and gloom for a little while. Um, but on average, uh, the United States is approaching, um, so we're at 37.5% of the total population who has been uh, vaccinated, uh, which means that you're about. Uh, let's say, uh, so we're getting close to 38%, with the following states being above the average. Um, New Hampshire is the highest with 50.7%, uh, followed by Connecticut, Massachusetts, Maine, Rhode Island, Vermont, New Mexico, Hawaii, New Jersey, South Dakota, Colorado, Maryland, New York, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Washington, Alaska, Virginia, and Iowa. Okay. A lot in Northeast. A lot. Yeah. Is there a reason? Uh, Does yeah, there, a lot. Is there a reason for that pattern that you just shared? Uh, I actually, so I was going to comment, like, it's really, I think that that state distribution is really interesting. Uh, so you're right. Like, they're at Northeast quarter, um, which tends to be a, a relatively, like, Democratic uh, stronghold. Um, it's all, like, is is interesting. But like I say, but I say Iowa is on there. New Mexico, uh, say um, uh, New Mexico, a bit of a, a less less fuzzy example. Um, Alaska is on there. Iowa is on there. Hmm. So yeah. uh, we're so I uh, say at least in some places on local levels, you do have um, some people putting politics aside and saying, well, the this is this is a public health matter and we should we should do this is anyone talking about herd immunity anymore is anyone talking about their communities ha, reaching? Ha, ha, ha. no <laughs> oh, no, okay. no no it's not gonna happen All herd right. immunity you're talking um upwards of 70 percent mm-hmm. and right. we we cap again new hampshire is doing a great job at 50.7 okay okay wow 
Okay, so um, that's... Oh, I have one more thing. Yes. Um, because uh, I, while we wanted to highlight states doing more than their fair share, let's Absolutely. talk about people who are do not doing their fair share. Well, we may as well. Um, let's go. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll just do uh, the bottom 10 performers, mm. which starts with South Carolina, Idaho, Tennessee, Wyoming, Georgia, Arkansas, Louisiana, Utah, Alabama, and Mississippi. I'm surprised Georgia is on the list. I'm surprised Tennessee is on that list. Uh, and um, for full disclosure, uh, Indiana is number 14 on the bottom. Uh oh. Not great. That's, that's, <laughs> not, that's not sexy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you hate to see it. Mm -mm. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Okay. So, uh, is it just because we're stalled? You know, there's a lot of talk about people just canceling appointments and not showing up. What do you, what do you, how do you read this trend at the bottom? Well, um, uh, you'll notice that most of those are south, uh, say, are southern or western states. Um, yeah. Again, so you're talking about the heart of Trump country. And uh, they are um, they are on this Trump train, uh, mm. and I, again, and I, I want to be clear that we are we are talking about relative percentages, not like total numbers. Okay. Okay. Right. That okay. things get a little more like California has um, has has fourteen million, nearly fourteen million fully vaccinated people. Mm. Okay. And that's you know dwarfs every other state by a lot but that's still like a that's a, only like 35 uh, 35.5% of their population yeah. I mean that's still respectable you know in my opinion yeah. you know got a little over a third that's cool that's cool um, yeah it's, it's a huge effort so I'm glad we made it this far alright well Alex thank mm -hmm. you for those trends and Anthony thank you for the poll this week now before we go to our discussion I want to highlight a story that came out about a couple of days ago and feel free to check this out on our Facebook page several players and coaches for the New York Yankees contracted COVID after being vaccinated so perhaps you didn't hear me so let me say that again several players and coaches for the New York Yankees contracted COVID after being vaccinated the team confirms that all eight of those who came down with the virus had the J&J &J Johnson & Johnson one-shot vaccine, and although they tested positive, seven of the eight had no symptoms. The one person remaining was said to have mild symptoms and has since recovered. Now, officials want to use this opportunity to remind us that no vaccine works 100% of the time. Infections and illnesses can still happen. Studies have shown the two-dose Pfizer-Moderna vaccines are about 95% effective at preventing illness, while the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is 72% effective. So while mask mandates are being lifted, the importance of still wearing a mask, especially for the unvaccinated, may still be warranted. Okay, that's it for this half. So with that, we're gonna head to our round table. The 
The battle between Israel and Hamas, which began on Monday night, has spilled over into the West Bank as a Friday, sparking the most widespread Palestinian protest in years as hundreds of demonstrators clashed with Israeli troops, who in return shot and killed at least 11 people. Israel's bombing campaign in the Gaza Strip continued yesterday when an airstrike on a house in Gaza City killed at least seven Palestinians, the highest number of fatalities in a single hit. The Israeli military said the operation involved 160 warplanes dropping some 80 tons of explosives over the course of 40 minutes and succeeded in destroying a network of tunnels used by Hamas to elude airstrikes and surveillance. Since Monday night, Hamas has fired hundreds of rockets into Israel, which has pounded the Gaza Strip with strikes. In Gaza, at least 126 people have been killed, including 31 children and 20 women. In Israel, seven people have been killed, including a six-year-old boy and a soldier. All of this while, international efforts for a ceasefire continue to grow louder. Anthony, we're going to start with you. What do you think this means for Palestinians and Israelis in Gaza who have been working toward a peaceful coexistence? Well, it doesn't mean anything good for either one of those groups. Um, I, the citizens living in, in those places, I don't... What what they... I imagine what, what they want is an end to violence and they, they probably want a move towards a solution that prevents future future violence um but their respective political leaders don't don't want that you know a lot of the sort of uh, one of the more common refrains is that the person this has been the best for has been Netanyahu, who was facing a lot of trouble uh including some 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 really like alarming political scandals mm -hmm. but this has probably fractured his opposition enough that he may be able to skate by once again mm -hmm. um and then for hamas you know their influence was also waning uh because they are not producing anything for mm -hmm. the palestinian people and this you know violence is is good for those for both of those groups um so this sets that back again mm -hmm. because it probably only in, empowers and emboldens the same leaders who haven't been doing much of anything to work towards a solution for this. You know, you talk about Netanyahu, and he has been brought up as a potential benefit, uh, uh, person who benefits from all of this conflict, being that at the very least it distracts from his troubles. Alex, with that being said, what do you think the primary benefit would be to Netanyahu, and how would that actually play against him uh, in the coming months? Uh, can you elaborate on the question? Well, if he's going to benefit from this, you know, how do you see, in your opinion, how do you see him benefiting from this? Well, so like Anthony said, um, his uh, say his uh, opposition is is gets fights and say fights amongst itself and like fra uh, fractionizes um and his is just the largest minority then he stays he continues his tenuous grip on on power in israel and uh it will continue to be tenuous um like no, nothing really changes um and that's not great for the people who are who have been suffering and will continue to suffer um 
elections have consequences. That's, that's the TLDR in Israel. But the United States has made a point, at least in the last administration, of really supporting Netanyahu and helping to bolster his, his hold uh, in his office. Uh, with that being said, there are some that are saying the United States should have or should be speaking up more now. Do either of you agree with that? Well, I mean, Alex, I know you and I have talked extensively uh, last week. We talked on Friday about this. Uh, I think uh, safe to say we both believe the United States should speak up. Now, where we differ is, is can the United States back their words with actions? I tend to be a little more skeptical of that, whereas um, I don't know how Alex exactly feels, but I am skeptical of the idea that we can do much more than speak. Uh, our last 20 years of foreign policy adventures have not given me confidence that we're capable of pulling off much of anything outside of like military interventions. Is it that they don't have the ability to uh, uphold something or they're not willing to uh, go into that space and utilize their diplomatic uh, diplomat utilize diplomatic efforts or dip diplomatic influence to turn the tide or help to bring about a ceasefire in this region. Yeah, I don't think we all, can. All, all of the above. <laughs> um. You know, should we even be in that space? I mean, I, you know, this this type of conflict has been going on off and on for for a long time do we as americans or the rest of the world do we truly understand what's happening here uh, not not anymore yeah I, I don't know that we that we ever really did uh so like the united so that region has been called the uh the empire graveyard for a while uh like the so you know they crushed the soviet union um because the soviet union tried to go in there and ex like expand into this region for, I mean, for its oil, same reason we're there. Um, and they got crushed. Uh, and now we're, now we've been in there um, for 50 years. And uh, we, I see, we keep picking sides. Um, and then we just like are shocked, flabbergasted when the people that we have given military arms would use those military arms for their own political uh benefit i shocked yeah yeah no i think alex is largely right there i mean i alluded to it earlier but like just so over the last 20 years like russia has interfered with western western affairs all over the world they assassinate dissidents in western countries and they basically terrorize ukraine a a ally country and the response has been not much about any of that China uh, is currently committing crimes against humanity, against the, their native population, and also has just taken Hong Kong back from the Western world, and the response has been uh, nothing. When al-Assad, when Bashar al-Assad was uh, committing war crimes against his own people in their brutal civil war, we threatened to do something, and then we're unable to follow that up with actions. We haven't been able to secure long-term stability and peace in Afghanistan or Iraq. Uh, North Korea, a small, relatively small, uh, impoverished country that is in, by any measure uh, less powerful than us, openly defies the entire Western world and pursues nuclear arms. We haven't been able to do anything about that. There are a lot of areas 
where like the United States just does not get what they want in foreign policy. And I think we all maybe need to update, not all, but like we should update our understanding that like the United States just, we don't actually get what we want in a lot of foreign policy areas. Like we can invade countries, we can do that. But outside of that, our ability to tell people what to do or make them behave in the way we would prefer is, I have not seen a lot of evidence of that in the last 20 years. Again, uh, big countries all the way down to tiny, small countries, they just defy us. And they go, then invade us. That's the only bullet you have. Then shoot us. And we go, well, we're not willing to shoot you. Great, then shut up. But isn't that what we want? (laughs) Isn't it that we don't want our government to get involved in these foreign conflicts? Uh, There has been uh, the other side pushing to remove us and our troops and our influence from areas where we don't have a great understanding of what's going on on the ground or where we might stand to lose more than we possibly could gain. Alex, you want to speak Uh, to that or Anthony? So you because we've spent 50 years, I say, like what Anthony said, right? We have one, we are, we are the definition of a one-trick pony. We have, we have this one really cool move, and that's it. That's 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 the only arrow in the quiver. Um, and they're just saying, well, if you're not going to do anything with it, then... And it's like, and so, yeah, maybe you should stop, and you should develop other tools. Mm-hmm. You should uh, employ better economic needs mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. I mean, so i say so you don't like that china devalues its currency and you don't like that china uh is committing genocide and you don't like that china is uh doesn't respect your intellectual property then do something about it one thing that has punish to- them yeah, one thing that has come to mind is that you know we're still in a worldwide pandemic, and we have this this uh, horrible thing taking place um, in Israeli the Gaza Strip area, and no one's really talked about how that might exacerbate uh, the the infection in those areas. I know that uh, Israel has a high rate of people who have been vaccinated, but you know, as we've seen, people can still get infected, and and I am not as clear on the Palestinian side if there have been. Uh, high rates of people being vaccinated. So do you think that uh, there should be some sort of question or discussion from the international community to to help to make sure that since this is a, a global tidal wave, right, that this is something that's not going uh, unaddressed or unmet in this area, or should we just leave it? Look, if the rest of the world were capable of doing something like this and reacting, they would have reacted um, following the uh, mass exodus of those countries, like the massive insurgence of immigrants from those countries. You know, like we talk, I say, uh, we talk about all of the, like we talk about the United States immigration issues, but like Europe also had immigration, when Europe one time had immigration issues akin what the united states did they were just as brutal as as we are um it's like you guys had the opportunity to do something and had an invested had a vested interest in doing something about it and you failed to do anything Hmm. you can't do anything Mm -hmm. useless yeah (laughs) a whole lot of you the the international community again should do but there's a there's people don't want the international community 
they want it to be a full muscular international community that can intervene when they want it to and then they also want the mechanism to be turned off when it's not right so as we've in the 20th century we moved away from this sort of like empire building colonialism for good reason we moved away from it but what that also meant is a lot of these countries just turned off that muscle they just shut it down they said fine we're not doing nation building we're not going to interfere with other people's business like we're going to shut it down and and one consequence of of that is when things like israel palestine happen they go well we don't have that muscle anymore we, we turned it off because you know last time we had it it went terrible for those countries so we so we shut it down we're like well well yeah that's probably that's probably fair what do you think this means for people living in those areas right now and what do you think this what type of effect this will have on the future of the influence of hamas on the region uh i don't think this what i mean it'll be a momentary boost to hamas's influence but but look long term like they're still not delivering anything. I mean, they their people li- are living in like the largest, the world's largest open air prison, and that's not going to change. And they aren't going to be able to stay in power as long as that doesn't change. And you know, same thing with BB. It's a stalling mechanism, but that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, with that, we'll go ahead and move on to our next topic. Since the 2020 election, the Republican Party has been at war within itself. Everything from who is the leader of the party to the election itself has been up for debate. Then the January 6th insurrection happened. Since that time, some Republicans have worked to reframe the narrative of what happened on that day, including how they characterized the deaths of officers by stating, by stating that patriots protested that day and patriots died that day. All of this on the backdrop of former President Trump's claim that the election he lost was rigged against him. Last week, conservative Republican Liz Cheney was voted out of her leadership position as she lost support from her party, apparently because she and a handful of others have spoken out against the Trump narrative of a rigged election and continue to call January 6th an act of domestic terrorism that is distracting her party from its ability to heal and move forward. Alex, I'm going to start with you on this one. How does the Republican Party move forward from this? Um, you, uh, you call the Nazis in the party. That's what you do. You, well, consoli- you consolidate power around reasonable people and you say, crazies, go away. But they're going to go somewhere. They're going to go to someone's party. Right. And you make them go, make them make their own party. Trump threatened it, do it. Okay. You want to take on the GOP in our home turf? All right. <laughs> Let's go. Now, that hasn't worked for Liz Cheney, and it hasn't worked for a handful of others like herself who've, who've been vocal on this matter. And Liz herself said that the reason that she believes this is the case is that some people are literally afraid. They're afraid for their lives. This, do you consider I, this to be a serious issue? I, yes. I, so the number of death threats received by uh, politicians has increased 106% this year. 
so doubled. And it's uh, and you're like, well, well, why? And it's things like this. And the answer is you punish the people who do the crimes. If you send a death threat to a to a senator, to a congressman, to a mayor, to a governor, you say, hey, police officers, um, caller ID, address, handwriting analysis, do something mm -hmm. and put these people in jail mm -hmm. so I can do my job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the difficulty around that point is that the narrative itself seems to have softened the farther the further rather we've uh, gone away from January 6th we now have people recharacterizing the folks who were there that day who uh, for most of us look like they'd broken in to that, the Capitol they did break in they're and, terrorists and causing and, damage um, and had, we have a and we have a feckless say we have a feckless Democratic Party who says yeah we'll just let you control the narrative yeah sure they were patriots they were terrorists call them what they are and hold people accountable you're going to call them patriots you're a terrorist now you mentioned something democrats have been largely silent during this whole uh republican exchange do you think the democrats should be involved in this conversation if so why you should be as minimally involved as possible anthony what is your take should they be involved in like it, the involved, whole... involved in this exchange and involved in the efforts to reframe the narrative for one around what happened on January 6th uh, because some people are believing now that it was not an insurrection that it was um, uh, uh, patriots who were taking their plea to their government for their for redress so uh, yeah I mean I think they should be involved in it I think the reason they are I, I don't send things because they're they're, they're feckless or uh, I think that what they'll say is that um, we are trying to focus on moving Biden's agenda forward, and you know they feel like they have limited bandwidth to to, to like talk about a bunch of things all at once. And I, I don't necessarily think that's that's true. I think they're probably wrong about that. Uh, I've said before, like you have a lot more bandwidth than you probably believe you do, and it's very strange to me that we see parties uh, believe that there's like how can we communicate with people i'm like i don't know you have like a hundred surrogates pick one like I, you, you have a bunch of talk shows you could probably like walk and chew gum at the same time but uh they they don't think that um because they're feckless I mean, <laughs> well let me ask you this let's go back to your 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 point that you you kind of went by quickly alex about this they'll create their own party do you really believe that there is enough energy on either side and this could be republican or democrats right because there are some democrats who are growingly displeased with the lack of push or the fact that biden is now signaling that he wants to negotiate on the infrastructure bill for instance right um do you think that there's enough energy around either party for a a, a secondary party from either uh is there enough energy yes, yes. On, on, bo on both sides and by yes. energy let me say not just the will but the dollars uh, i see so that was the part that i was going to get to the issue is that there the the uh monetary one the political system in and of itself the first past the post system just you will you say you will conform to the two-party system or you will die um we've seen this time and time and time and time again 
Um, uh, and so, so there, there is that. And so like, just as like rational people, like you begin to think, well, like Bernie Sanders isn't going, could have in 2016 have in response to Hillary's winning probably broken the democratic party, uh, 40, 60 and said, and said, we're going to, we're going to make a new, new party. And, uh, I mean, and the result, the results actually wouldn't have changed anything because Trump did end up winning that election one way or another, but he could, so he could have done that, but opted not to because he wanted like, he recognized that doing so would have given, uh, the victory over to, uh, to the Republicans. Mm -hmm. And so there's energy. They have, they, there's just not, there's not until you change the political system, it's doing so is suicide. Yep. So if, like, the uh, first person to blink loses. Yeah. So, Alex, you and I talked about this last week, and I'll sort of uh, reiterate in a short version what I said to you when we spoke about this. Political parties absorb. They just absorb, and they absorb, and they absorb. Uh, and the reason is because of what Alex stated, which is that, sure, I imagine Mitch McConnell in, like does not like working with like Marjorie Taylor Greene and it's probably like yeah I I do not like being a part of the same party as Marjorie Taylor Greene but if we split I have no chance of being Senate Majority Leader ever again and he's right about that and he goes I would like to be Senate Majority Leader and what do you that's that's it and I go yeah he's not wrong his calculation there as immoral and unfortunate as we may find it to be is not wrong and as long as and this is because of what alex said the system we have means that calculation is correct and so he is going to behave in a way and this applies to every politician this applies to to democrats who are going to absorb the parts of the left that that some of us may not agree with they're going to absorb it because uh they know the math they know they are at an electoral disadvantage in the general election they know the senate maps they know what the what you know the representation in congress has done to them they can't afford to lose anyone either so neither side can afford to lose anyone so they're just going to absorb them instead of splitting so that answers my question regarding the energy uh that there there, there's not the energy to form this mythical third party that both have threatened particularly republicans at this time because the energy flows in, there's energy from the outsiders to split, but the insiders are the energy is in keeping them in the flock, and so they just sort of cancel each other out. Well, how do you manage a party with such different, divergent uh, views on what it means to be a Republican? Right. Well, so I think it's important to, to note that that has that this is a relatively relative. So this is. You can plot this transformation over the past 50 years. Okay. Um, so by by the so you can check um, whether a bill has been you know uh, sponsored by a Democrat or a Republican, and then you can check the number of other people who vote for it. Mm-hmm. And so like that's a way of measuring partisanship. Mm-hmm. And what you've seen over the past 50 years is a hyper polarization towards the right. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that's um, happening? Uh, because we decided to, at some point, we decided to break our politics around really stupid uh, lines. Well, right has and, been uh, redefined over the years, too. Right used to be fiscal 
conservancy or conservants I can't even say the word well, around fiscal conservatives still is. and some, for some it's some social still think it is um, okay but like the issue is again because we decided to divide like just all right I say decided like it was like we got in a room and made this decision <laughs> just like as a society we accidentally um stumbled across this we divided our politics along rural and urban lines mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so and as a result there are states there are a whole host of states that do not have a strong urban center mm-hmm. and so it's all like so it's all rural areas and those are very safe rural republican areas mm-hmm. and so they never worry about a primary so they never worry about a an opposition challenger Democrat going to do in Kansas or Wyoming? The question yeah. is, or right. Wyoming, yeah. Right. Um, they only are concerned about the person, their primary challenger, right. outflanking them on the right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. you gradually got this shift. Well, I can't if I want to, even if like they are like central, like you know, pretty centralist, regular Republicans. They still have to say, well, I have to look more to the right than than the person who's who's showing up to, uh, who's showing up to face me, or they will get into power and they will do crazy things. Mm, I see, I see. Yeah, I I, I believe both parties just, are having to do that with their extended parts of themselves. We're starting to see Democrats a, a, sh- a polarization, polarization as well. Now is that a now is that as a result of these people are crazy and I have to just oppose them on principle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or is this a we, we're seeing that same polarization pulling them further and further to the left or Maybe in both it's a little bit of it's probably a little bit of both or in both parties it's also about you know the speed of the train of change right some people want it now some people think it needs to happen at a slower rate all right we're going to move on to our last segment short for the movement move began as a collective devoted to issues from police brutality to environmentalism. The group's relationship with local law enforcement quickly soured over the years with several altercations throughout the 1970s. After years of tensions between Philadelphia police and the MOVE group, police fired 10,000 rounds of ammunition into the MOVE row house on the 6200 block of Asajj Avenue on May 13, 1985. The police then dropped military-grade explosives on the house, burning an entire city block to the ground. 11 people were killed that day and 61 homes were destroyed. This past week, Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kinney announced the immediate resignation of Dr. Thomas Farley, Philadelphia's city health commissioner, for the role he played in incinerating the remains of those killed in the bombing without notifying the families that there were remains present. Further, it was discovered that the remains of two girls were at both the University of Pennsylvania and Princeton and had been included in online classes. Kenny said the remains related to Farley's resignation were separate from those rediscovered in April in the possession of Alan Mann, a former professor at the University of Pennsylvania and Princeton University. Mann returned those bone fragments to Terry Funeral Home in West Philadelphia just this past April 28th. And I also want to say that Alan Mann was uh, an interim employee at the time of the bombing um, at the, uh, for the uh, city 
of Philadelphia. That's how he originally got access to the remains. And when he moved from job to job, he continued to take the remains with him. Okay. So some of the remains now have been returned. However, others have not. Um, Anthony, I'm going to start with you on this one. <laughs> um, what type of impact, <laughs> you're welcome. What type of impact do you think this may have on today's activists who may stand for similar issues that MOVE stood for and their relationship with government officials? Well, um... Because Mayor Kinney is trying to set it right. Uh, if you, anytime you dig into history, basically anywhere you're, you're going to find just horrifying stories in this country like just immediately off just starting like a, a you know if you go back more than like a couple decades you're just going to be like what was happening like yeah, it's, it's bad man it's just real bad it's like the recent past is is, is awful um and that's going to make any of these efforts harder because mm -hmm people are going to be furious they're going to be hurt uh it's going to raise all sorts of, of of just bad situations for government officials where they're responding to things that were done that were are completely outside of their control uh i mean something like what we see with the remains is it malice it could be malice it could also just be like bureaucracy is like borderline malicious in and of itself and like bureaucratic incompetence is like the most malicious one of the most malicious forces probably in existence is just like why why did you take the remains with you why did you do this like well no one told me not to what why should we have to like what was his what's his reasoning like well the reasoning know. that was there shared the reasoning <laughs> that was shared was for further analysis Further analysis and research. Now, what this does for some people is it harkened back to days where minorities, black people were used for medical experiments and no rest for the dead, right, in this case. But Alex, do you think, you know, there's an investigation going on right now. What do you think would be the best outcome at this point to, for the families to have? some resolution uh, I am not qualified to begin to talk about that um what would you want if these were your two girls your family members your older sister yeah that's um not qualified to begin to talk about that Francine <laughs> <laughs> Hard well, well apparently neither are they uh, you know, no one's really given any answers other than the apologies of the mayor. Uh, I do not know if Mr. Mann has apologized for utilizing the remains in his classes for demonstration purposes. Uh, that was far beyond the analysis, right? You know, when. So, as, I, so as for the mayor, I, I, I'm happy to talk about this, uh, on this one. Um, because, uh, so this, this like, we should normalize this. This should just be a thing that we uh, that we celebrate and we should encourage people to do more of. Mm -hmm. So this is a mayor saying that um, actions of a previous administration, uh, through no fault of my own, that I have a member, someone of my office has done a bad thing. 
and I'm going to acknowledge that they did a bad thing, and I'm going to say that uh, that they did a bad thing, and I would like to begin to do something about it. Well, that's so, something uh, about it is the challenge. <laughs> I mean, so, so yeah, so this is the, but this is a decent start, and you should say, and uh, people in that area who uh, remember or were tied to this group should uh, should should play a role and been like, yeah. Um, so the police say, if there are any police officers who are who were involved in this, um, not the not probably not the rank and file. It, but the leadership who made this decision to, and I can't stress this enough, bomb their own part of the city. They bombed part of their own city for political reasons. Um, yeah, I don't know. You you take a say you uh, take away their uh, pension. You uh, you punish them. <laughs> now, I I actually want to point out. Uh, apparently, the the mayor is actually saying the remains weren't cremated. This was like yesterday. He said they were found. Now he's like, we actually, he's like, we found them like in a in a box. What he found in a box, um, there were some found in a box. He's saying yeah. some were incinerated. Um, at a time, and that's why the resignation took place because the uh, the commissioner, the health commissioner, admitted to establishing the order to have remains incinerated. Right, right, and maybe uh, the order just wasn't followed because well, someone had more sense than that guy. <laughs> well, maybe it was partially followed. Right, yeah. it, it's a situation. The whole thing is an absolute mess. So the it turns out of the two girls, only one of them had been located that was sent to the university. And it turns out that of all of the remains that were supposed to be incinerated, there's this box that had move on it that was found right. in, a, in a storage area. And I think that's what you're referring to. Right. They, are, are, they think that those bones belong, but they need to be tested. So I'm gonna ask the same question of you, Anthony. Yeah. These are your family members. Yeah. What do you think needs to be done to make these families as whole as they possibly can be made. Of course, we know we can't bring their loved ones back. Well, I mean, uh, people should go to jail, like, pretty clearly. Like, a uh, lot, more than one person should go to jail for this. Uh, the person who ordered it and then the person who carried out the bombing, they should all go to jail. I don't, we, we don't really believe uh, in the defense of uh, my boss told me to or I was just following orders. Cool. Some other groups of people who tried that argument, we didn't like it anymore when they made it either. We were like, eh, it's not a great argument. I was following orders when I bombed a house. When I bombed some houses, I was just following orders, man. What was I supposed to do? Uh, That's an incredibly disingenuous argument. Yeah, but I'm saying like, Most, like if, say, if you're, you're, if you're, you're referencing, you're referencing to, the Nuremberg no, trials. I'm saying you're referencing if you're ordered, the Nuremberg trials. If you're ordered to blow up housing, then you follow it, you should go to jail. No. Yeah. Yeah, you should go to jail. If you're ordered to blow up housing, you should go to jail if you follow that order. So I say, so all of the employees from Wells Fargo who signed people up for accounts that they, they didn't ask to because they were following company policy, they should go to jail. There's a rather large... There's a rather large difference between blowing say, up, between firebombing homes. It's not, it's, 
It's not a, say, it's not a fair comparison, but it's a crime. But it's a crime. Uh, but the and fact so that the crimes your, are I'm not taking your argument. Similar. I'm taking your argument the, the crimes to its are conclusion. Comparable. The crimes are comparable. They're not comparable. No. So the people not. who's the like who's financial radically the people, different. the people, but lives were ruined regardless. Uh, are you going the, to? Are you willing to equate? Uh, no, I'm not going equating, to equate like, the two. No, the difference between like he, fraudulent accounts and firebombed homes is a large difference. Like a galaxy. People's worth lives of were ruined. Are you, but I say, but is this like, is there grief different? Yes. I don't know that that's true. Uh, if a private actor, a bank, acts one way towards me, that is radically different than my government blows up my kid while they're living at their my home. Essay. That's actually not remotely the same. My essay, my essay, my bank opened, as they opened up accounts and ruined my credit score and I couldn't get a home and I couldn't get a loan. And when my car broke down, I couldn't keep my job. Yeah. Are, are you, let's say like, that's, that's, and then say, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying that those aren't, that those I don't aren't think the you same can as say, I, my government blew up my kid. While, while she was living at home, they fired. I don't think her. that those. I don't think that that's like the human suffering is comparable. Uh, what is uh, what do you mean? Are you saying like 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 no like th there are different degrees of of crime. A difference in degree is a difference. There are different. There are in fact different degrees of tragedy or suffering, and it is also wildly different when your government does it to you as opposed to a private actor. So yes, the government choosing to blow up your child is in fact very different than a bank doing something. That's not the same thing. And yes, so if your government orders you to blow up a block of housing, to firebomb housing, and you follow the order, you should go to jail. Well, let me be clear. It was supposed to be a row house, singular. Yeah. So yeah. it ended up being an entire block. Yeah, it ended up being an entire block because the nature of violence and, and war, which is what this was, an act of war, the nature of war is excessive and collateral. As anyone who has ever practiced or studied or researched war could tell you, the best laid plans of war do not survive past the first bullet. Mm -hmm. So the minute you ordered a bombing of a singular row house, you were accepting the risk that it could blow up the whole block. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's war. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This was war. This was an act of war against their own population. It should be treated as such. So I'm going to try to... I agree. Um, I say, and, uh, and I agree that leadership who made this decision should be punished. I have much more complicated feelings about the people on the ground who say, so you say, are you like... Where are you drawing the line? The people who carried the bomb, the pe the person who say the people who uh, lit say that uh, detonated, the people who sat by and let it happen. Uh, where are you drawing the line? So, do you feel similarly about police violence? Yeah. So, do you feel cops should be punished, or are they merely follow well, orders? Cops who do. Um, it's complicated. <laughs> I mean, I'm asking you. Um. So I said, uh, again, it's complicated. Um, like the that's following, my answer look, to if you. If you choose to blow up, I mean, if you choose again, 
you bob the civilian population in an act of war. This wasn't. Uh, that's what happened. Michael, I no one's no one's arguing over that. We're arguing so, over where are you drawing the line, sir? Uh, Where's your line? You, when you violence like this is the line, and because I do say there's a difference between like violence like this and things that are not violence like this. The act of taking a life is the greatest wrong you could commit on somebody, especially when the government is the one taking your life. That is a degree of difference. And if you're asking me where I draw the line, so I would say, is it part of your normal operation to load a bomb onto a plane? I mean, yeah, that's what we normally do. Okay. Then I don't find any problems with that. That's your normal job is to you load a bomb on. That's we keep the bombs ready. We keep the planes ready. We're not under any, we're never told what we're keeping them ready for. They could be for anything, including legitimate uses. But if you are told to bomb a civilian population, then yeah. They're like, is that, is that normal, normal work day for you? Is that inside the scope of your orders? Okay. So no, okay. I don't. Yes, uh, then, I, I, then I then I think I think we're in agreement. Then I think yeah. we're we're largely. I'm in saying there are yeah. uh, okay. there are you have to draw the line somewhere, obviously. But I'm saying like if it was me and it was my family, I'd be like, look, I want the person who did the who who gave the order, but I also want the person most directly responsible for the bombing. In this case, it would be the person who flew the plane. Like you, you went to your plane you flew the plane and they were like blow up the city and then you were like okay like you flew there and you were like I'm gonna blow up my own city I'm gonna firebomb them and you say yep that's what we're doing today we're firebombing my own city okay well then I want that person to go to jail too if it's me and my family I want that person to go to jail too let me ask this question then as we close out this discussion uh, and this can be for either one of you uh, because at some point the city uh, and the country has to move forward uh, but in the past when we've moved forward because we've moved forward from this before none of these facts that we now have were made known now that we have these facts what do each of you think should be the best course of action forward? What should forward look like given the circumstances? Forward for Philadelphia? Forward for Philadelphia, forward for the families, uh, forward for the rest of us, the country learning this. Uh, so going forward, like I, so we need what they did with apartheid South Africa, which is we need like a truth and reconciliation committee. Like there is when it, I think people believe they're afraid of what would happen if it all came out. Right. And by all, I mean all this stuff, hidden secret stuff that's known, but not really public, like move bombings mm -hmm. or, um, you know, those sort of things. But, when it comes out piecemeal like this, it's way worse. It's way worse. This stuff just trickling out slowly, nonstop, a nonstop drip, drip, drip of like horrifying news. It's, it's worse. It's worse for everything. 
you need to like just lean in and get it all out it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt like hell and there's going to be political consequences some of you won't survive if you ever you know let pandora's box open you won't survive your political career won't survive it like there's no point pretending it will Mm -hmm. but and while that's a heavy price to pay the alternative is this which is every so often someone's gonna be like damn remember that thing that happened that no one really seemed to care about like oh what was that wait they did what and what was the what was the consequence they paid them some money like they they paid them a little civil lawsuit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for for blowing up their block Mm -hmm. like oh well that seems insufficient yeah yeah maybe it does so going forward for philadelphia but for the nation like rip the band-aid off like it's gonna it's gonna hurt and the longer we wait the more it'll hurt though because the grievances and the and the offenses they just keep piling up more and more and more you're only creating more trauma that you have to unveil down the road um you know i know last year before the pandemic really it was about a year and a half ago we were going to do a project I'm not sure you remember Francine. Yes. And I remember us talking with you about, as I researched, like what police, like police violence, the mm-hmm. stories you don't ever hear about are so horrifying. Like, mm-hmm. I had to stop doing research on more than one occasion. Like, I just can't read a single more incident of police brutality. But every incident is somebody's. That's every person who dies is special to someone. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. someone's mom or dad or father, son, daughter, somebody, friend. That's that's a, that is another wound inflicted on a community, and they haven't forgot. Just because I'm finding out doesn't mean they don't know. They do know, and they're pissed that their loved one's tragedy was never known. They're they're still angry about it to this day I guarantee those people are still mad mm-hmm. that their loved one didn't get the headlines or that no one has ever apologized or seemed to have gave a single damn so my advice moving forward what I would hope for is that these sort of stories become public so we can rip the band-aid off and actually begin the process of moving forward well with that we're going to go ahead and let that be the last word I know this has been a hard way to end the show but as you've said you know these are stories that we have to talk about in order to process them and hopefully get better from them thank you so much for joining us on recap feel free to listen to us at uh, apple podcast Uh, check us out on our social media on our instagram page and facebook page also check us out on our website at uh, http colon slash slash pointcast.news i never say that but for some reason i had to say that today so check us out at pointcast.news maybe we needed a little levity to end the show with Uh, And we also like to uh, give a special thank you to our sponsor, Eliad Productions, uh, for continuing to support us and everything that we do. Thank you, Anthony and Alex, for joining me. Um, And thank you, Josh, accidentally for letting me sit in your chair uh, this week. We'll see you when you get back from vacation. All right. With that, gentlemen, we are out. Thank you, guys. Yes, I I uh, I like uh, letting people kind of do their thing. So hopefully uh, you guys were fine with me just letting you chat. Yeah.
Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot who I was talking to. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Are you guys there? <laughs>